Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Oh, why, hello there, and welcome to an especially haunted episode of Little Curiosities. I'm your host, Kendall Long. You may know me as that spooky taxidermy collecting girl from The Bachelor, Bachelor in Paradise, where I was on a quest for love. But on this podcast, I'm on a completely different kind of quest, the quest for knowledge. And today, you are in for a treat, or trick. Because after all, it is Halloween if you're listening to this episode on the day of its release. A new episode of Little Curiosities comes out every Tuesday, and Halloween just so happened to fall on a Tuesday this year, so lucky us. And in the spirit of Halloween, I've decided to dedicate this episode to an animal very much associated with the holiday— the wolf. I'll also be talking a lot about the myth of werewolves because what could be more Halloween than werewolves? So firstly, before I get into all of the meat and bones of today's episode, what did you all have to say about wolves and werewolves? I got a lot of wonderful answers from all of you on my Instagram when I inquired about the wolf, and this is what you had to say. Newport underscore native said, They cover their excretions, also food not eaten. And I was laughing when I read this because I can just picture a wolf being super embarrassed and hiding its duty evidence. But they do this because they're trying to hide their scent from potential enemies. And they'll also roll in their poop to mask their scent so they could sneak up on prey. So yes, there is lots of duty action when it comes to the wolf. But also something that's interesting that I was researching is that dogs will do the same thing. Because it's actually some sort of deep primal instinct that they have from their ancestors' past, which I thought was interesting, I have definitely seen my little weenie dog, Pistachio, rolling around in animal excrement. Little did I know he was just trying to mask his scent so he could sneak up on, like, some kind of prey, though I've never actually seen him go after much of anything, like no rabbits or gophers have to worry about pistachio ever attacking them, which is probably a good thing, but not good if he's trying to survive out in the wild. Janine Jeans, spelled like the jeans, the pants you put on, which I thought was a really cool username, asks, have they actually raised humans? And it seems kind of like a story fit for fiction that wolves will raise humans. But yes, there are several accounts of wolves actually raising children, human children, in the wild. I get into a real-life wolf boy story later in the episode, so make sure you stay tuned for that. It's pretty dang crazy. So thank you, Jeannie Jeans, for that recommendation. And the last question I'll get into this episode is from alex.richie.10, who asks, what are the differences between wolves and direwolves? And I love this question because I didn't even know the difference between them. So unfortunately, direwolves are no more. They are a more ancient form of canine because they're not even wolves at all, despite their name. 
they were much bigger than the wolves that we know today, about 20% bigger. They had massive skulls and a more muscular build than wolves. Scientists believe they went extinct when the megafauna started dying out because of the changing climate. So when this happened, the dire wolf had a really hard time competing with the gray wolf when it came to catching smaller prey, so the species went extinct. So yes, the dire wolves of Game of Thrones did roam the earth at one point, and it's a pretty cool stuff to know that actually happened. So thank you for all of you asking questions and adding some great information for this episode. I always love being inspired by all of you listeners of the show and what you guys have to say. So if you want to get involved in future episodes, I often hint at an upcoming Little Curiosities episode in my stories. So check out my Instagram at It's Kendall Long, and I'll shout you out on the episode if I choose your question or comment. So be sure to look out for that. Okay, so I'm actually really looking forward to getting into today's episode on wolves because when I was researching them, it gave me a whole new appreciation and perspective for wolves. I mean, I always knew they were cool because I think they're just one of the top animals you think of in general when it comes to predators and, you know, the list of cool animals that you hear about. And usually because I'm a champion of the animals that don't get a lot of attention, I really haven't researched wolves, but I'm so glad I did for this episode because now I know why they're so cool. So grab your favorite Halloween candy or, you know, your siblings or your friends if you're too grown up for all that trick-or-treat jazz, or maybe even do what I did last year and just buy your own Halloween candy. Anyhow, grab your favorite sweet thing and get comfortable for the tale of wolves and the role they play in legends around the world and in our hearts. Throughout history, humans have had a rather complicated relationship with wolves. They are respected for their bravery, fierceness, and hunting abilities, which can be seen with the practice of wearing wolf skins while hunting, but they're also feared. Need I say more than the story of Little Red Riding Hood? More on that later. There are three species of wolf, gray, red, and the Ethiopian wolf, but by far the most common is the gray wolf. Wolves often live in social family groups, consisting of the mom and dad, which are the parent wolves, along with some of their pups or offspring. Living in a group, they also hunt in packs. Alone, wolves aren't really that intimidating. They're definitely smaller than a mountain lion, but together is where they show their real power. And this leads them to successfully taking down much larger prey, which is very necessary because they can eat quite a bit. They consume about 10 pounds of meat per day on average. That's like the size of a medium dog. Sorry for that mental image. Here's another example. Your average steak weighs half a pound or eight ounces, so that's like eating 20 steaks a day, which is quite a bit of protein. The practice of living in packs also helps with raising offspring, and it serves as protection against other predators. And these packs are extremely territorial and cover a certain range. And at one point, wolves were one of the most widely distributed land mammals. And as widespread as they are, their territories are bound to cross into some undesirable locations, at least as far as humans are concerned. But let's be honest, what animal doesn't? Because of this, wolves were and are seen as a threat to humans and their precious livestock. They just so happen to also like to eat the same things we do, like deer, sheep, elk, etc. And don't you worry, we will definitely be getting more into the constantly conflicting relationship between man and wolf expressed throughout ancient legends later in this episode, so stay tuned for that. 
But when it comes to chowing down, wolves are opportunistic eaters, known for scavenging animal carcasses, including humans. Usually a wolf won't hunt a human in the wild. And I do mean usually, because there have been two fatal attacks reported in Northern America, but that was since the 1920s, so it's been a long time since a wolf has really attacked a human. I mean, there's not a lot of wolves dressing up as grannies and trying to sneakily eat our children, so don't you worry. And honestly, you just have to be considered extremely unlucky to be attacked or succumb to a wolf attack nowadays. Although it is important to note that these statistics are from wolves that are in their natural and wild habitat, not of captive or wild ones. In that case, I think the statistics are a little more frequent. Wolves have also been known to eat remains of their own species when the going gets tough. But again, what animal doesn't, including humans? <laughs> Donner party. <clears throat> Anyway, despite humans' fear of wolves, it was wolves that slowly made their way into our hearts. And that is because many, many years ago, they evolved into dogs. Dogs come from wolves. It's disputed when exactly wolves were first domesticated, but some resources say it could have been as far back as 50,000 years ago when wolves were first tamed by humans in Eastern Asia. We do say tamed by humans, but some say they domesticated themselves by scavenging for our early ancestors' hunting scraps and hanging around the campfires, growing tamer and tamer with each passing generation, until weenie dogs. You better bet I can see the wolfish fierceness behind Pistachio's eyes, because yes, all dog breeds alive today descended from a single ancient wolf species, mostly similar to the European gray wolf because these wolves are not as fearful as other wolf species, and they were more likely to take the risk of cozying up to humans. It is thought that stories of human beings raised by wolves first came about from these close relationships with wolves living alongside humans. Feral children being raised by wolves was a common theme in old legends. Legends like the story of Romulus and Remus. Two twin brothers and the sons of Rhea Silvia and the god of war Mars. In the legend, a king's brother, fearing the baby twins would grow up to take the throne he so desperately wanted, ordered them to be cast into a river to drown. But the servant assigned to do the dirty deed instead put them in a basket in the river, hoping they would be rescued. And that they were. They were saved by a she-wolf who pulled them to safety and nurtured them until they were found by a kind shepherd. The symbol of the mother wolf nursing the twins is often depicted on Roman coins and statues. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another example of a story with wolves adopting human infants is the famous story of The Jungle Book, written in 1894 by Rudyard Kipling. You may not be so familiar with the book, but you probably are familiar with the cartoon Disney version. At least that's a version that I grew up with. And in the story or movie, Mowgli's father is killed by the tiger Shere Khan, and the helpless infant is taken in by a family of wolves, where he lives in the jungle to learn the bare necessities and all of that. And the crazy thing is that this story is actually based on a real-life story 
of an Indian man named Dina Sanichar. Although here's a fair warning, the real-life version does not have nearly as happy of an ending as the Disney version. But just like Mowgli, Dina was raised by wolves. He was spotted by hunters who saw him while roaming in the jungle, and he was accompanied by a wolf pack. The boy was walking on all fours and acting more like wolf than human. And the hunters were like, holy guacamole, this is crazy. We need to take him home with us. And not liking the idea of being captured by these strange men, the wolves and the boy retreated into a den. Not to be stopped, the men decided to smoke the boy out of this den by setting the cave on fire. And this forced both the wolves and the boy out of the den. And then the hunters shot all of the boy's wolf companions and then forcefully took the boy back with them. I mean, Disney failed to mention that part of the story. The boy was then taken to an orphanage where they baptized him and gave him the name Sanichar. And in Hindi, this literally translates to Saturday, the day they brought him into the orphanage. No points for originality there. Now, Dina did not fit into the human ways of life at all. Being raised by wolves, he walked on all fours and hated wearing clothes. He also refused to eat cooked food. Eventually, he did abandon the whole walking on all fours thing and learned how to walk on two feet. And although he could understand the ministers at the orphanage, he was never able to fully speak to them himself. And this could be due to the fact that the window of time where we can pick up language to speak by listening from others is called the critical period. This only lasts for a few years in childhood, though the exact age that this critical period takes place is heavily debated by scientists, but it is widely agreed that it happens somewhat around puberty. So later in life, the brain isn't as plastic, and it's harder to absorb new skills like speaking. This is also why it's so dang hard to learn a new language later in life. I know this because moving to Germany, I'm trying to learn German, and it's freaking hard. It's so hard to learn German. It's a difficult language to begin with, but if I had started earlier in my childhood, perhaps I would have had more of a chance to be fluent. Unfortunately, I did not study German when I was younger, so it's just harder for us older peeps to learn a new language, and it was hard for Dina Sanachar as well. Despite this, Sanachar was able to make a single friend at the orphanage, another feral child that had been raised by wild animals. Apparently, there were a lot of children who were brought into the orphanages with stories of being raised by wild animals, but some say that they were in fact just children with physical or learning disabilities, and the orphanages just said that they were raised by wild animals for publicity. Regardless of who this friend was raised by, he was a friend, and he taught Sanachar a few tricks including how to drink from a cup and other human necessities. Sanachar also picked up the not-so-desirable human habit of smoking cigarettes, which didn't do wonders for his health, and despite managing to learn some human ways, Sanachar was never able to fully rejoin human society, and he died at the young age of 35 in 1895 of tuberculosis. See, cigarettes are bad for you peeps, they're bad for your health. And dare I say that includes vaping. Don't come at me. From India all the way to Canada and a lot of other places in between, wolves exist in many different countries and continents. But like I said earlier, wolves' relationship with humans has been a complicated one. And a lot of countries like America and Germany made extreme efforts to eradicate wolves altogether. And this was largely due to the fact that wolves learned to make a quick and easy meal out of the docile cattle and sheep that humans farmed. Unfortunately, sheep were extremely valuable, especially in early America, where new colonies were being established, colonies that would fail without their herds, so no bueno. 
Wolves were then seen as a threat to the farmers' livelihoods, and the colonists reacted by lashing out at the wolves, hunting them and creating stories and folklore of their evilness to ensure the bad reputation was passed down to the next generation. Stories like The Three Little Pigs and Little Red Riding Hood, all of which I'm sure you have heard at one point in your childhood. These myths were a sharp contrast to the legends and myths in a lot of other cultures. Interestingly enough, Native Americans who shared the same land as colonizers and came across the same wolves had a seemingly very different view of the wolf. To them, wolves were meant to be greatly respected. They saw them as brothers and sisters and wouldn't even tolerate the mention of hunting them. Wolves turned up predominantly in the myths of nearly every Native American tribe, In Native American culture, wolves were highly respected and considered a medicine. They were also associated with courage, strength, loyalty, and success at hunting. In the Shoshone mythology, the wolf takes on the role of a creator god. In the Anishinaabe mythology, a wolf is the best friend and brother to the hero. Wolves are also one of the most common clan animals in a Native American culture. The clans of a nation are often depicted by animals that inhabit the region. The natives had great respect for the ways of the wolves and respected their territory and boundaries. They also learned a great deal from them and imitated their pack structures. The Ojibwe tribe believed that God roamed the earth in the form of a wolf, and they also believed that anything that happened to the resident wolf pack was destined to happen to them too. They also believed that wolves were responsible for the safe passage from our world to the spiritual one. So it was very important to treat the wolves well, since they affected you both in life and in your death. Speaking of death, in Norse mythology, Odin, the god of war and the dead, is accompanied by two wolves. And their names were Gary and Freki. And maybe it's just me, but I kind of find it hilarious that one of the wolves' names was Gary. But in Norse, Gary meant the greedy one and Freki meant the ravenous one. These wolves bravely followed Odin into battle, and as a reward, he feeds them meat from his plate and gives them a place by his side. Some say Odin was lonely, and he created these two wolves for the sake of companionship, making them the first creatures to keep him company. Sorry, ravens. Seeing a gray wolf in the battlefield was considered a good omen due to their relationship with Odin, because it meant their favorite war god was watching over them. But still, even the Norse had mixed feelings about the wolves. Sure, they were considered good luck on the battlefield, as well as a symbol of wisdom, bravery, and loyalty, but they also represented chaos and destruction. In legends, a big bad wolf by the name of Fenrir was often told to be Odin's enemy and was depicted as a villain. This wolf was the offspring of the mischievous god Loki and was ginormous. It is said that the last time the gods encountered him, he was 30 feet tall, a little over nine meters high. But he still grew after that, and his peak size was said to be big enough to devour both the sun and moon. So just for fun, the sun is about 864,000 miles in diameter. So yeah, definitely not a lap dog. This wolf at one point in the legend actually kills Odin by swallowing him. So yes, in the Norse myths, wolves are depicted a lot as both companions and nemesis. And to make things even more complicated, Odin himself could also take the form of a wolf. Which brings me to another legend involving wolf transformation, aka werewolves. Though the entomology of the word werewolf is still under debate, The word werewolf probably comes from Old English, with were, meaning man, 
and wolf, meaning a wolf, both combining to form the name werewolf, man-wolf. It's hard to say where the first reference to werewolves was, but tales of man turning into wolves goes back pretty dang far. Dare I say, they could be one of the oldest monsters written about. I do dare. Because the oldest werewolf story on record goes as far back as 1300 to 1000 BCE in the Epic of Gilgamesh. This is where some scholars believe the werewolf story made its grand debut. In the story, an unlucky shepherd caught the eye of a goddess named Ishtar. Ishta, being a goddess after all, was known to quickly lose interest in her lovers, and then she would curse them. With a show of hands, can anyone here relate to Ishta? Anyway, this unlucky shepherd was no different and shared the same fate as all the other lovers before him, and he was cursed, and his punishment was being turned into a wolf, making him an enemy of his friends, his sheep, probably because he ate them, and probably the saddest part, his own dogs didn't even like him anymore. Another early rendition of the werewolf story can be found in the Greek myth, the legend of Lycaon. In this legend, the god Zeus hears rumors that King Lycaon of Arcadia is practicing human sacrifice and also cannibalism, which is a no-go. He then goes to Earth in human form to see if these rumors are true. Warned that this new stranger might be an immortal in disguise by his son, the king decides to test the visitor to see if he is all-knowing. And Lycaon's master plan for figuring this out is to feed human flesh to the disguised Zeus. In some renditions of the story, the sacrifice is actually Lycaon's own son. This, of course, doesn't fool the god, who is enraged by the cannibal meal. I would be too. And then he transforms Lycaon into a wolf as punishment. The king's clothes become hair, his arms turn into legs, but his human eyes remain. And thus he becomes the werewolf. Now, Lycaon's fate may have been in his name, because in ancient Greek, Lycaon comes from the word lykos, which means wolf. Legend says King Lycaon's cries of sadness can be heard even to this day, whenever there's a full moon. And what is it with wolves crying out at the full moon anyway? I mean, there are a bunch of legends that talk about wolves howling and crying out at full moons. So here's another legend that I thought was really interesting that tries to explain why wolves cry out at full moons. The story says that one very dark night, the wolf saved the moon when she accidentally got entangled in tree branches. The moon and wolf then spent the rest of the night telling stories and enjoying each other's company. This caused the moon to fall in love with the wolf's spirit, and in a selfish gesture, she stole the wolf's shadow to remember that night forever. Since then, the wolf howls at the moon, begging her to give back his shadow. But sorry to break it to you, the myth is far from the reality. Howling may happen at night and in the presence of the moon, and yes, it does sound pretty dang sad when they howl. But the truth is that howling is in fact a way for wolves to communicate to each other in a pack, kind of like a rally cry saying, hey, let's go hunting, or back off, this is my territory. A lost wolf may even howl so it can find its pack. But different from wolves, when a werewolf howls, it is seen as a warning that they are on the prowl for a victim. We often see the legend of the werewolf as a curse or punishment for doing something bad. For instance, another Greek werewolf myth speaks of a man who was turned into a werewolf for 10 years as punishment for eating human entrails. This is another example of cannibalism when it comes to werewolf, and he probably got a punishment in his stomach, too. So, he was punished twice. 
Another werewolf by punishment myth is in the story of Saga, and it depicts a father and son thieving duo who steal wolf pelts that turn out to be magic, and when they put them on, they transform into wolves. They're shocked to find that they can't transform back into their human selves, and little do they know that they can only do this every 10 days or so, but they're not aware that they can actually transform back into humans. So they decide to separate, and they promise each other that if they get in trouble, they'll agree to howl for help. The son does ignore this, and he kills 11 men, and he also injures himself. But eventually, after 10 days, they turn back into men, and they're freaked out by this whole experience, so they burn the pelts. Another common wolf trope that we see in werewolf legends is warriors transforming into wolves to embody their powerful attributes to aid them in battle. This could be seen in the stories of Berserkers, and I was informed by my fiancé that Berserkers is actually a video game term, and I'm not too familiar with it, but I think in video games it's like a character that's crazy and violent and vicious and attacks people, and it's kind of the same but different in Nordic myths. Nordic fighters who donned bear and wolf skins would take on the predatory animal's characteristics in battle. It was believed that wearing the skin of the animals, or hamramr, allowed a transformation to occur. Now, the word hamramr means skin or pelt, but it also means shape or form. Just like the Norse goddess Freya, who puts on her cloak of falcon feathers and takes the form of a falcon in order to fly. And how the swan maiden, in another Norse myth, put on a swan skin to take the form of a swan. The berserkers had no interest in birds, instead of maybe the fact that they wanted to eat them. They were instead all about the ferociousness of the beast, like the wolf. After donning the skin of these creatures, they would fight with animalistic violence. They would howl and roar in the battlefield. They'd slaughter men and animals without using any weapons, and they seemingly were impervious to wounds. Described in the Ginglinga Saga, written by Snorri Sturluson, I might have butchered that, but that's the best I can do, it says that, led by Odin in battle, his men advanced, as mad as dogs or wolves, they bit their shields, and were as strong as bears or bulls. They slaughtered men, but neither fire nor iron harmed them. This is called the Berserker Frenzy. Now, because the word hamramr has a double meaning in the Norse language, it can be kind of difficult to know for sure if the translation meant to literally turn into the animal, or if the wearer just put on the pelts. And while, yes, these animal pelts could have served as a form of camouflage, it does actually seem like our ancestors were trying to obtain characteristics possessed by the wolf while wearing these skins during hunting expeditions or war. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Norse mythology has plenty of legends of animal transformations taking place after wearing the pelt of animals. One of these legends, Saga of Volsung, highlights another werewolf story. A captured princess by the name of Singa convinces the evil king and his wife to tie up her ten brothers who are also captured and to leave them in the woods as a form of execution instead of killing them right away. Her plan was actually to try to save her brothers secretly by sending her best men for them afterwards. 
But she finds that her hopes may be in vain, for when the men go to rescue the brothers, they learn that a mysterious she-wolf had found them and was eating them one by one each night. This happened over and over again, every night until only one brother remained, her twin, Sigmund. As a twin myself, I can relate. And just like I most certainly would, the sister devised a plan to help her brother by sending her men to him with honey, saying that he should put the honey on his face and also inside of his mouth, and while the she-wolf was distracted, licking the honey off of his face, he should bite down on her tongue. This does sound like a really interesting plan, but if your arms and legs are bound by rope, I mean, like, the only other weapon you have is your teeth. The twin brother does do this, and he rips the tongue from the beast, killing the wolf. The wolf was believed to be the evil king's mother, who took on the wolf form due to witchcraft. Later on in the story, the twins marry, take with that what you will, and while on one of their adventures, they themselves find wolf pelts that turn them into wolves when they put them on. And they're only able to transform back into humans with the help of magical spells. So a lot of werewolves going on with these two. And I know I'm telling you a lot of different werewolf legends and stories, but I find it so interesting that the legend of the werewolf can be found in so many places around the world, from Serbia, where it's believed someone becomes a werewolf if they drink the water from a footprint of a wolf, to Denmark, where only Danish men could become werewolves, and also pregnant women should especially be careful of coming across this beast. In Russia, it was believed that if a witch placed her girdle under the house's threshold on the inhabitants' wedding day, a curse would turn all who celebrate into wolves when they cross over it. I'm currently planning my wedding right now, so I'm going to write that down in my notes. Make sure there's no witch's girdle underneath any threshold. It will be checked. Don't worry. <laughs> The French were also not a stranger to the werewolf myth. A 12th century French poem speaks of a handsome noble werewolf knight who mysteriously disappears from home every three days. His wife accuses him of having an affair, but he says that this accusation is in no way true, but he can't tell her the real reason because the truth will only harm her, which, red flag. She does insist on knowing the truth, and he finally tells her of his werewolf tendencies, how he strips down to his birthday suit and hides his clothes because if they are lost, he will stay a werewolf forever. Seriously, so many red flags. I would be skeptical too if I was his wife. But she apparently is aware of these red flags because she secretly wants to end the marriage. Not because she thinks he is lying, because she does believe him, but she's scared of him being a wolf and all. I mean, understandable. So she nags to know where his clothes are kept during his wolf spree, and finally he tells her they are under a bush at the old chapel. Not really the best hiding place, a bush, but that's where it is. And the wife starts a scheming. She herself has a secret lover, and together they steal the husband's clothes. Which, is it always those that accuse the partners of having lovers that actually have lovers themselves? Shenanigans! <laughs> And when the werewolf knight husband doesn't return home that night, the lovers think they're in the clear, and then they marry. A year later, the husband's friend, who happens to be a king, is hunting in the woods and comes across him in his werewolf form. Before the king can kill him, the werewolf knight shows him his more human side, kissing the foot and leg of his king friend, and this leads him to sparing his life. This kind of reminds me when my dog Pistachio knows he did something bad, he did something naughty, and he's like kissing me and he's like, mother, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what I did, I didn't mean it. It kind of reminds me of this, but it's a little creepier because it is like a human guy that's just a wolf. Look, if you're about to be killed and then you play the whole cute puppy dog thing, I get it, it's a tactic that works. 
and it worked really well because the king's like, oh my gosh, so cute. I want to take him home with me to be my new pet. And the werewolf then accompanies the king to court and is well taken care of. And all is well until the knight's wife's lover attends a feast at the king's castle and a scorned husband werewolf seeing the knight attacks him and drags him away. The king does manage to stop him from killing the man, and apparently things just cool off, and the werewolf is let off with a warning. Like, dang it, werewolf, don't go off trying to kill my knights. <laughs> On another occasion, the king's hunting party comes across the werewolf knight's old scheming wife, and he attacks again, tearing off her nose. And at this point, the king is like, okay, I've had it enough with these attacks, and is about to have the werewolf killed, but a wise man says, hey, so he's only attacking these two people and no one else. So maybe he's like that missing knight and all. And the king's like, oh yeah, that can totally be it. And they decide to interrogate the wife. And after being questioned, the wife does admit to stealing her old husband's clothing and trapping him as a wolf. The king demands the clothes be returned. But when the wolf knight does get the clothes back, he's all of a sudden super shy and ignores the clothes because he's ashamed of his transformation from beast to man. When he gets some private time with his old clothes, he puts the clothes on and turns back into his human form. His old wife and lover are then exiled from the realm. And for good measure, they are cursed. And from that day forward, some of their female descendants are born without noses. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The final werewolf legend I'll get into this episode involves stories that seem to have the same theme of Little Red Riding Hood, where innocent women are being attacked by hungry wolves. Hungry for what? 
is what I'm asking. Because these myths seem to act as a symbol for women for protecting their purity from the wolvish predatory waves of some men. One of these tales speaks of a werewolf attacking a woman, and while in the process, he rips off some of her clothes, oops, and when he returns to his human form, the woman recognizes him from the pieces of her clothes in his teeth. And you'd think that maybe he would floss to get rid of the evidence, but apparently he doesn't, which is fortunate because he doesn't get away with his crime. And maybe it's all of these legends of people turning into wolves that made people think they could actually turn into wolves. And look, back in the day, people would actually get away with this because they would say that a witch turned them into a werewolf. Then that witch would be put to trial and it would be seen as evidence of their evil witching ways. And they would oftentimes be killed and burned at the stake, which is kind of backwards to me. You know, it's not the person that said that they believed they turned into a wolf that was seen as crazy or seen as evil. It was the person they pointed to that said, hey, that person over there turned me into a wolf. That person was punished. I don't think that's fair. But nowadays, that thankfully wouldn't fly, and people would claim that you are cuckoo if you said you were turning into a wolf. There is a name for it. It's called lycanthropy, or a mental disorder in which patients believe that they are a wolf or another non-human animal. And I do wonder if this applies to furries, or though maybe furries are berserkers, like they put on the pelt of different animals and then become the animals themselves. This disorder could include vivid hallucinations that make the patient believe their body is changing over time. These hallucinations include feeling like their teeth and mouth are slowly getting bigger and are growing fangs or growing claws. And these sufferers will also walk on all fours, howl, and in some extreme cases, even attack people. Some even have a taste for raw meat, even human, and raw blood. And if you think these symptoms are too insane to be real, it actually happened in real life. As far as I know, no drugs were involved. An alleged serial killer and German farmer by the name of Peter Stubb was diagnosed with clinical lycanthropy and known as the werewolf of Bedburg. If you are interested, Bedburg is only a three and a half hour train ride from where I live in Stuttgart, Germany. I've never been there, but that's just a fact. This guy was seen as a werewolf man because he was known for tearing his victims apart with his teeth and drinking their blood and even eating their hearts. Ugh. I mean, you'd probably have to think you're a werewolf to be capable of doing stuff like that. And lycanthropy isn't really a popular diagnosis throughout the entire world, so it's often diagnosed as schizophrenia and other mental disorders or psychotic episodes. And also, it's not that common, which is probably a good thing. Regardless of whether one believes they are an actual werewolf or not, I think it's safe to say that throughout our history and legends and folklore, we've always had a strong connection with the wolf and the dualities of their traits, traits that we are all capable of and can relate to. One of my favorite Cherokee myths speaks of a fight between two wolves inside of us. The story starts with an old Cherokee teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside of me, he says to the boy. It's a terrible fight, and it's between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, The other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you. 
and inside every other person, too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked the grandfather, Which wolf will win? The grandfather simply replied, The one you feed. So it seems just like the relationship we may experience with ourselves, our relationship with the wolf is a constant battle of love and hate, good and evil. Regardless of how you feel about wolves, although I do hope that you love the wolf as much as me, wolves have a tremendous effect on their habitat. They are considered a keystone species, which is a species that, just like the keystone in an arc structure, affects the whole balance of the other stones or species around it. If the keystone is removed, the whole thing can tumble down. The wolf plays an extremely important role in their ecosystem, one that became more obvious when the gray wolves were reintroduced into Yellowstone National Park. In the 1930s, their numbers had drastically dwindled pretty much to near zero because of hunting. When they were reintroduced in 1995, the impact they had on the park was closely monitored, and researchers were surprised to find just how drastic their effect was. Their presence even affected the rivers. And no, they're not waterbenders, but let's back up. For starters, wolves eat elk, and when the wolves were eradicated back in the 1930s, the elk took advantage of the loss of their biggest predator. They got pretty ballsy with their grazing territory and began grazing for longer periods, just in one space, because why move if nothing is after you? They spread out these new grazing habits all the way down to the river. And if you've ever seen a documentary about the perils of watering holes out in the wild, you'll know that the river is a prime location for predators looking to take advantage of a prey's thirst. With wolves out of the way, elk had no worries about that, and they ate to their heart's content on all matter of plants, from grass to roots to saplings, aka baby trees. Now, if you eat a little tree, it doesn't have the chance to grow into a towering, branching beauty, one that a lot of other animals depend on, animals like songbirds and beavers. Beavers, as it turns out, are pretty important to the ecosystem as well. Their dam-making abilities slow the flow of rivers, prevent floods, and bring water to various different places, providing habitats to an abundance of critters. So, needless to say, Yellowstone wasn't looking too hot when wolves were away, but reintroducing them changed all of that. The elk populations declined, which meant more trees could grow to adulthood, which meant more building material for beavers. Beaver colonies went up from just one colony to nine. Bison populations also surprisingly increased, which some researchers believe was due to not having as much competition from elk. And a lot of other animals were thriving and also returning to the park. More research will, of course, be done as time passes in Yellowstone, but I think it's safe to say the return of the wolves as the top predator at the park has restored some much-needed balance. Other areas that used to be populated by wolves could see Yellowstone as an example, and may be inspired to reintroduce the wolf back into their habitats as well. The wolf, it seems, has had an extremely complex past— one of respect and loyalty, but also one of fear and of direct competition with humans for survival. But I, for one, after researching a lot about wolves and the impact they have on the environments and ecosystems around them, I'm really glad they're making a comeback because it turns out we need them more than we think. And so do a lot of other species. That wraps up this episode of Little Curiosities. The only question I have is, after listening, would you say you're more of an Edward or a Jacob fan? And my second question is, how did it take me this long to sneak in a Twilight reference? 
If you want to convince your friend that Team Werewolf is the obvious way to go, share this episode with them. And it would be an absolute treat if you would like our little podcast and subscribe so you don't miss a single one of these fun, fact-filled episodes. All of the support from listeners like you really means the world to us here at the Little Curiosities team, so thank you. And happy Halloween. I hope all of you get the good kind of candy tonight. Personally, I'm all about Twizzlers. And if you say they taste like plastic trying its best to imitate candy, then I don't disagree with you. I just like it anyway. Until next time, ciao. Little Curiosities with Kendall Long is a Q Code production. Executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson. Produced by Alexa Gabrielle Ramirez. Edited by Will Tendy. Music by Kendall Long and Will Tendy. Hi, just checking in and seeing if you might want to step away from the noise of the world for just a moment and connect back to you. If so, join me on my podcast, Letting It Settle with Michael Gallion, where we'll explore mindfulness, self-love, and personal growth as I share practical insights and tools to hopefully help inspire you to start to take charge of your mental and emotional well-being. Search for Letting It Settle with Michael Gallion on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening now. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday.